You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello, ladies and gents. This podcast is brought to you by OMD Ventures, my platform focused on human capital investing. Check out weekly articles on redefining the status quo in work and life, as well as my daily learnings on becoming healthy, wealthy, and wise. Check it all out at oldmandan.com, and remember to subscribe to support and join the community. Also, please help the podcast and friends you love by telling one friend this week about Accounted For. Um, that's the best way to help a friend out, especially when it is her or his time in need in their moment of confusion. Today's podcast guest is Peter Sum. Peter is the patient acquisition lead at Open Care. Yes, patient. So obviously, Open Care is something to do with healthcare. The company itself is a Toronto-based healthcare marketplace business, and the current product allows you to find top-quality dentists around your neighborhood in Toronto and other cities in the U.S. And from my personal experience, I think having a great dentist is one of the fundamental keys of having a happy life. So I would recommend the product um, just as a separate user. Peter is a fellow high school alumni from Vancouver College, but that's not how we met. Although I was really happy to meet a fellow West Coast boy like myself, it was funny because we were actually connected through Conrad McKee Stocks, our prior guest from episode 10. Peter is the first person I've met who switched his major four times in university over four years. So that was very fascinating to understand. I was honestly quite envious that he had the self-awareness and maturity at such a young age in university to go against the grain and explore by switching majors and really trying to see like what drove him. Uh, Peter has been traversing through the world of startups as one of the early business hires of each company he has worked with, and he's just really embraced the definition of the startup mentality. We also go into how one would position him or herself for a position in growth and performance marketing as well as a startup. And the interview is just filled with so many um, rich advice from Peter in terms of how to even think about your own self-awareness as well as considering on navigating your own career path. And so I really hope you find as much value and entertainment as I did doing the podcast interview myself. So without further ado, here is my interview with Peter Sum. Hey everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. Today on the podcast, we have Peter Sum, who is the patient acquisition lead at Open Care. Hey Peter, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, good to be here. All right, and uh, Peter's still kind of recovering from the jet lag from his vacation, so I hope um, you know this hour won't be too tough for you. No, it'll be fun. I'm excited. <laughs> um, so, for our audience who may not be familiar with Open Care, um, can you describe what the company does? How big is the company? Sure. And yeah, more about it. Yeah, so uh, Open Care uh, is essentially a marketplace that connects patients and healthcare providers. Uh, today, we focus primarily on solving uh, acquisition for dentists. Um, and so if you think about you know, a traditional dentist, they go through school 
and they learn how to be great dentists. They come to school. They're expected to know how to run their business and acquire and, and market, um, but they don't necessarily have those skill sets. Um, and so a lot of them struggle, even though they're great practitioners, they struggle to grow their business. Um, and so the value prop that we provide them is essentially a way for them to market um, in a more effective way. You know, traditionally, maybe they try their luck on AdWords and they try and bid on a cost per click model. But um, at the end of the day, you know, they're not under, they're not equipped to be able to do that um, well. And so some of them struggle. Um, otherwise, you know, maybe they go on to newspapers and try and bid for ad space there, but um, it's really hard for them to understand what the return is on that. So uh, we come in and basically provide a, um, a risk-free way for them to grow their business. Um, so instead of paying on a cost per click model, they pay when a patient actually shows up for an appointment. Um, so it de-risks a lot of that stuff for them. They don't have to worry about whether it backs out. They know a patient's worth several thousands of dollars and we charge a fraction of that. Um, and so they can come to open care and just feel confident that they can grow their business. Um, some practices before were getting, you know, three new patients a month. Now they're getting 30 new patients a month. So it's having a meaningful impact on growth for them. Um, they're hiring more staff, opening up more practices. So super exciting on that side of things. And then on the patient side, uh, really what we want to solve for is just helping them discern and figure out what good care is. Um, and it's, it's really challenging for a patient. Typically, um, you're asking your, your uncle for a recommendation and, um, it's really hard for, for a patient to really understand what a good healthcare provider is. And so in a market like Toronto, you might have 1500 dentists, um, we'll work with the top 10% of that. Um, and so we do a lot of work trying to figure out, you know, online review data, um, cases of malpractice, all these different types of things that really, um, I think help us identify the, the cream of the crop. And so when a patient comes through open care, um, they can have confidence that whoever they pick is really going to lead to a great experience. Um, so that's kind of the business that we've been focused on building today. We started in Toronto. Uh, now we're in uh, eight markets total. The other markets are in the U.S. Um, and so we're really focused on building that out um, in terms of team. Uh, we're about, I think we crossed the 40 mark uh, beginning of this year, um, growing quickly, trying to get to, I think, 100 people by the end of this year. Um, so that's kind of, we're at that stage of growth now where I think a lot of things have been validated and it's, it's really just kind of go time to figure out, you know, how to get to that next level. Yeah. No, and, and I think from my personal experience, I, I think I'm like most people that, you know, don't like going to the dentist. And I think I've been extremely fortunate in that when I was in Calgary, but it was the same thing where I, I didn't know which dentist to pick, but I need, I had a tooth infection. I had to get both my wisdom teeth out and I just picked one that had like five Google reviews, but it was still like all five stars. And yeah. I, got, I lucked out. It was an amazing dentist. Pulled out my wisdom teeth in like 10 minutes. Got me in like the surgical room like the day after I had made the appointment. Like, yep. And so I even, I have one wisdom tooth left, left and I even think about going back to Calgary just to go to see that dentist. Cause I've heard of so many people who just find the practitioner who's not that great and they go through so much pain. Like I have so many people in my own experience, uh, my own like network who go through that. And I think, yeah, like yeah. a platform where you can actually go and kind of, it's like an, kind of like Uber where there's more validation and there's more uh, 
on people saying, yeah, like this person's good. Okay, great. I can yeah. trust that and I can go with that. And, and I think what's exciting is that, you know, patients who are coming through open care are saying things like, you know, I've never experienced dental care like this before. Um, I can't believe that I was going to this old dentist where the experience was just really poor. All of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm introduced to this, uh, this new dentist who already today is delivering on an experience that I didn't expect as a patient. But I think what's really exciting is that that's, that's just step one for us. Um, step two is trying to take all these practices that are already the cream of the crop and figuring out how to make them 10 times better than themselves. Um, and I think that's truly what's going to create an experience that's ultimately different for the patient where they noticeably feel the difference um, where, you know, today when you think about going to the dentist, you know, it's not, it's not on the top of the list in terms of things that you're excited to do. Um, but we view a world where, you know, when we, when we empower practices um, to deliver that 10 times better experience, patients will start actually leaning into dental care, consuming preventive care more often. Ultimately, that's the mission of Open Care is really focused on how do we get people to be proactive about their health. And we're starting in an industry where the experience today is, is probably one of the lowest that you'd rank in healthcare. You know, you go in bleeding gums. You know, the dentist judges you for not flossing, all these different things. And, you know, you go in and you expect to pay a certain amount and you end up getting charged more. Like the dental care experience today is just really shit. And we're trying to figure out how to, you know, deliver something that's just noticeably better because I think ultimately that's what's going to create um, better behaviors around preventive care for patients. Uh, yeah, you hit, I think you guys are hitting the nail on the head there in terms of, yeah, it is pretty horrid. I think. I was at a coffee shop yesterday and um, the lady beside me was complaining to her friend about how, yeah, I'm, I'm going in for like, a, not even a checkup, some kind of assessment. And she's like, can I have to fork over $150? I don't have insurance. Like I have to pay $150 for them just to look at it and tell me, oh yeah, I have a problem. And then they'll charge me more. And she's just going off about it. But yeah, no, I totally agree. This is an area that needs to change and actually, um, yeah, like put the patients like, I think, interest first above all else and I think you brought up you talked about how like dentists when they're trained in school they're taught to be great dentists but not necessarily like, you know an entrepreneur in, in a sense you're mm-hmm. actually running your own practice and it's funny like I I go to chiros and physios a lot because of my athletic um, background and when I speak to chiros chiros tell me that they're taught how to run a business in chiro school but physios told me they're not taught to run a business in physio school yeah so it just happens that most of the clinics that i go to are owned by chiros with physios who are employed right um what made you choose like dentists over like these other practitioners like physios and stuff is it just mainly the fact that the care was really poor in dentistry so i think that's part of it i think it's sort of you know we looked at the industry ultimately we want to be across all healthcare specialties and for us, it's just a matter of focusing on the, the right problem. And I think the right problem has, you know, a few criteria that we were looking at to, to really ensure that that's where we should be spending our time. So we looked at, you know, size of market and the dental industry is like a $129 billion industry. So it's massive. Um, we looked at sort of patients and their current experience with that, that type of care and, you know, it's, it's consistently ranked as one of the worst experiences. So that means that there's an opportunity for us to come in and deliver something that's a lot better. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing that we look at a lot is sort of what aligns with mission of the company and preventive health and leaning into doing things that I think 
um, allow you to to kind of make your life better versus just fixing problems. You know, typically when you go to chiro physio, you uh, perhaps you like strain your back or something. You go and you have a problem. I think dentistry is one of those spaces where people already have some behavior around, you know, going in for checkups and cleanings and those types of things. And I think um, we want to pick an industry where, you know, we're able to start um, really encouraging that preventive care behavior. Got it. And now I'm kind of, I'm going to take off my investor's hat where I'm always so fascinated about business models, but um, actually now focus a little more on you. Um, It was funny when, when we first, I think I told you before, but um, for the audience who are not, who don't know the backstory, when I was introduced to you by um, one of our past podcast guests, Conrad, yep. I saw your profile and I thought, this guy looks so familiar. And I asked you if you were an alumni from my high school, Vancouver College, and yes. it turned out you were. And BC. Like, yeah. And I was like, Purple and gold. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Fighting Irish. And yeah, I was like, wow, <clears throat> small world. And so, yeah, we're both West Coast boys. Um, did you grow up in Vancouver? Uh Born and raised. Life? Born and raised. Yeah, so oh. I was um, grew up in Vancouver. Was there for first eighteen years of my life. Um, loved it there, um, but uh, felt like my ambition was always drawing me to the East Coast. Um, ultimately, ended up coming to university uh, at Western, and uh, I remember when I was in high school, um, Ivy came and sold me at VC. They came and did a career fair or something like that, and there was a recruiter, and they were talking about, you know, case method and how everything was super practical, and I was just, I was sold from day one. So, um, applied, got in, kind of was pre-accepted into the Ivy Business Program, and came out to to the East Coast just to kind of, you know, jump into that business school and get excited. But um, I guess while I was in university. Um, my love affair with startups began. Yeah. And I found that my attention was uh, a little bit more drawn towards just you know, building businesses and, and getting into much more practical stuff, you know, growing things. Um, and, and so my, I guess, focus shifted from school to, to entrepreneurship and startups and that type of thing. Gotcha. And I guess for some of the kind of audience members who are not familiar um, Ivy is uh, the business school in yes. University of Western Ontario, and people applying there. There's like this program where you practically get admitted early, and the program starts in third and fourth year. So the first two years you can do like a different, unrelated program. Like I've met people who've done engineering, yeah. who've done it's, sciences. It's a great path for you know if you want to go into traditional business. And at the time, I think that's where my mind was, um, and I guess that that shifted while I was in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember you told me um, that you switched majors like four times. So you started in yes. biomed. So um, my initial uh, guess is, wait, wait, did you have some kind of that uh, the Asian-born in- inkling of I want to have an option to be a doctor? Like, why is that? Why you picked biomed? Why? I, I think so. When I was when I was in high school and I was trying to figure out university programs, I think I looked at things. Um, based on what I was good at, you know, I was, I was looking at my marks and I was like, you know, my science grades are really strong. I think I was like one of the top students at VC for science or whatnot. And I used that to guide, you know, what I, what I thought I should be doing. Um, but I think at university, it started to change to, you know, what are the things that I really love? 
um, I was in the, the science program, I was looking at everyone around me and after school or after a class, people were gathering together and talking about the class and talking about the topic and they were just super passionate and energetic around that. And for me, I just, I didn't feel that same energy. And so I think I kind of switched programs over and over again because every time I went into a different program, I was hoping that I would, you know, have that sort of passion, but I couldn't find it. So I went from, you know, biomed to, to psych. I ended up in music for a year. Um, I was watching, I was telling you, I was watching a lot of Entourage. And so I, I wanted to be Ari Gold. Um, my, my parents were supportive of um, <laughs> just me exploring, um, which I'm really grateful for. You know, they were like, you know, if, if this isn't what you want to do, change, change and see if there's something that, you know, gives you that energy. And ultimately that energy was working outside of school, working in startups. And, and that's where I felt like, you know, at the end of the day, you can only win if you feel that passion, if you, if you, you know, are, are, um, you know, there's, there's so many talented people around you. You got to find that thing that gives you, um, that edge that makes you feel like, you know, you can't stop thinking about it. Otherwise I think you, you just end up, um, you know, in a spot where everyone else wants it more than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think just from my experience and just like the people I've been constantly meeting, it's just, you know, I think the, some people might think that, oh, like, I'm kind of waiting for passion to hit me like some kind of lightning bolt. But the reality is that you just have to explore. You have to try a lot of different things so that you can actually have an idea of, okay, some things suck, some things are better. I think I like this one better. Let's focus on it. And then it can eventually I think, evolve into something like a passion. Like I had to play like six, seven different sports before I decided I think powerlifting is the one that mm-hmm. I want to focus on. And like I've had so many different jobs just to figure out what I wanted to do as well. And I think that's amazing how you actually... I think it's... It, I can only imagine that it could have been actually be a very difficult decision to make to switch majors so often. Well, I, I think part of, I, I wasn't a great student either. And then maybe part of it was just like, you know, I was um, trying to just navigate my way through and find better grades or whatever it was, or trying, try and, you know, figure out a way to kind of put a group, put a degree together. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that I do think I did was really think critically about what I liked and what I didn't like. And when I was in a situation where um, I knew that, you know, it wasn't for me, I acted on it. I did something about it. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that I did that because I think it's through that trial and error that I got to, you know, where I am now. Do you, do you think you are naturally that kind of person who's always been very self-aware and always been looking to find the things that you liked and discarding the things that you didn't? Or how did it kind of mindset come about at such an early age? I don't know. I, I think I've, I've never been one to be able to, you know, rough rough it out and do things I don't like. <laughs> um, and, and maybe that's part of it. It's like, you know, um, you know, forcing myself to do something you know, even if it's like eating health, like, I don't know, eating the, the healthy food on the plate, I just not eat it. <laughs> um, now I, now I understand, you know, the value of eating healthy food, but at the time, you know, I was, it's not that I was a picky eater, but I think it was just like, I wasn't one to carry out doing something that my heart wasn't in. Um, and I guess there's, there's some positives and negatives to that, but, 
Um, I think when it came to this in particular, you know, just not not standing for like stuff that just wasn't working in my life, I think ended up in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm guessing that when you first had your first foray into startups, like was it, did you know preemptively that, or did you have this inkling that I think I want to try startups, I'm going to try to find a way because you took, um, I think while you're in school, your first foray is with Loose Button, which mm-hmm. I think happened sometime during like your second year of university. Did you preemptively search out like a startup opportunity or how did that come about? Yeah. So it's funny. Like when I look back at my career, I feel really fortunate and, and lucky. Um, in high school, uh, I was actually part of this, uh, this program called Chad Valley. Um, and through Chad, uh, you basically do like a summer long program that's focused on entrepreneurship and startups and that type of thing. Um, but they actually have this kind of internship placement program for when you come back from that, that school. And so I was kind of, you know, focused on very traditional business type opportunities. I was going and interviewing at banks and things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't end up getting those roles. And so what ended up falling on my lap was this student organization called Impact, where it was a volunteer opportunity. Uh, it was a student run organization that was focused on entrepreneurship. And I just, I guess I landed on that because I couldn't get anything else. Um, but it was really lucky because I ended up connecting with this amazing group of young entrepreneurs who are just super passionate about building businesses. Um, and it's actually, you know, one of the past presidents of that program that reached out to me when I was uh, in Vancouver one summer doing nothing. I was working at a souvenir store. He's like, I'm building a business and I can't pay you, but, you know, do you want to come out to Toronto and help build this business with me? And I said, yes. And, you know, I, I flew out that summer and uh, wasn't paid, um, but kind of jumped into the loose button, which is that business and was just like, just fell in love with like, you know, it's up to you to figure things out. Um, we don't know what we're doing yet. Um, these are the things that we, you know, have you know, hypotheses around or whatever. I don't know if it was called that at the time, but it was like, you know, we're trying to build a business that's super exciting. And I just kind of jumped on that. Um, and then worked with Loose Button for a couple of summers. The company kind of shifted time and time again. A lot of young entrepreneurs who had a lot of energy who were just trying to figure things out. And the company changed a few times in terms of, you know, what it was selling and that type of thing. But um, was really exposed to just doing whatever it takes to get the job done and have some really kind of fun memories from, from doing that. Mm-hmm. And... I'm thinking, um, like, if you were at any kind of big corporation, like an accounting firm, I'm just thinking from my experience, a year goes by, it's nothing much really dramatically changes in those kind of roles. But for you, you you're doing a summer at Loose Button. A year for that kind of a small startup, like, I think you would say you're like the third or fourth hire in, for the company. I can only imagine a lot of changes in the year. So were you constantly involved throughout the year or did you actually only just go in during the summers and get thrown into like a completely different company each different time. Yeah. So I think it was, um, the, the bulk of the work were sort of in my summers. There were times when I was kind of taking the bus back from London to, to Toronto to kind of chip in when I could, but a lot of the work happened in the summers when I was just fully in it. And, um, for me, it was like each summer I came back, the business was 
completely different. You know, it started as an e-commerce company that was trying to sell international brands to Canadian consumers, uh, like different types of fashion, high-end fashion products. Um, when I came back the next summer, the business was in beauty subscription. Um, so they were trying to figure out, you know, how to build a subscription business by giving beauty samples to, to consumers in Canada. And so it was really fun coming back in and just, you know, different business, different set of parameters, different distribution strategy, um, you know, running with it and trying to figure out, you know, okay, well, this is now the new problem that we're solving, really diving into it and trying to figure that out. And while you were in school, um, I'm sure you were in the startup Hustle and Bustle in the summer and now you go back to school and now you're back at Western with, you know, um, like friends who are in Ivy mm-hmm. who are all about the traditional corporate business path. Like I think most people from other business programs know that, yeah, like Ivy or any kind of business program, it's practically you go to finance, consulting, or like accounting or marketing. Like it's kind of those kind of four paths or yeah. like sometimes even just like three how how did you kind of cope with that like did you have like friends who would kind of question like the journey that you were taking on and did you also kind of have like thoughts of should i go down this path or should i kind of pivot go back to that corporate path yeah i think i think i was you know i i I fell in love with it and it was almost um you know maybe it was kind of that honeymoon phase with startups when everything just felt, um, you know, like glamorous, I guess, you know, like even though there was a lot of like sweat and like things that weren't working, I was just like that energy I was addicted to. And so, um, you know, for me, I think I was, I was really sold that this was the path um, to the point where I almost considered dropping out of school and, you know, doing this full time, that type of thing. And I had, you know, people in my network and friends who were kind of doing that. Um, And, you know, I think retrospectively, um, I'm grateful that I ended up finishing up with school and doing all that because, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think that gave my family a little bit more um, reassurance that if this path didn't actually Um, end up where it did that I would have a safety net I would have other options and going back to you know sometimes I'm not good at doing things that I don't like no matter what you do in life you're gonna have to do that so school is one of those things where um, it was an opportunity for me to prove to myself that I can power through and do something um, that I don't particularly enjoy and so in terms of loose button I think you told me how the company evolved into become Luxbox and you started selling um it's kind of like Birchbox, you said, like the model where you had these packaged like monthly subscription boxes for like beauty supplies. Is is that a business that continued to survive and waited for you until you finished uh, school and you, you could actually join it like full time? Um, so it was, I think at the time when I was wrapping up with school, they were already transitioning to a different business. Um, but yeah, I, like the, um, it's, it's really funny when I think about that company, there was a lot of, you know, fake it till you make it moments. Um, not intense as Firefest. Um, <laughs> I, I just I just watched that documentary yeah. yesterday. <laughs> um, sometimes like the the whole Firefest story just like rings too true, too close to home for like entrepreneurs because you know sometimes you kind of go through that right. Um, but you know, for instance, 
we would we would market to consumers that we had direct relationships with these brands um, that we were working with them they would give us samples and we're really helping to to you know market their products to consumers but you know on the back end we didn't have these partnerships um, most of the time i was running into the city um, trying to figure out you know all these different um, beauty suppliers and trying to negotiate dealers or deals with wholesalers and um, you know buying up product instead of getting it for free and trying to you know just create this this business that didn't exist so a lot of that type of stuff you know we didn't we didn't have you know a, a fancy place to you know build and ship our boxes we did all of that in our office there's like a boardroom table where we set up an assembly line and tried to hire a bunch of high school students to help us just like pack boxes and um a lot of kind of horror stories from like consumers who open up their boxes and they're like, you know, you were supposed to give me this product, but you ended up giving me, you know, you're supposed to give me lipstick, but I ended up getting mascara and it's half used and there's hair on it. And like, we had to kind of go through those growing pains as well. But, um, that was just, for me, that was just fun. It was like, you know, um, I look back on that time super fondly and I feel like I, I learned a lot about, you know, just being creative and, um, you know, getting the job done. Did you care about makeup at all? Uh, I, I, I got into it. You know, I remember there was a time uh, Ray, who was the CEO, and I were trying to test out products. <laughs> and uh, oh, what's this one product called? It's like, um, it's like a type of lipstick that you put on, and it's, a, it's like a lip plumper. So it, it, there's like cinnamon or there's some sort of chemical on it. When you put it on, it's supposed to like actually cause an infection on your lips so that it swells and looks bigger. Oh my God. And so we were, we were like, we were trying those products and like swabbing things on our hands and stuff. I can't say that I'm like passionate about makeup. Um, my, my girlfriend now has me on a, a skincare regimen, but that's only happened like several years later. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I was like super passionate about as an industry, but the business side of things was super cool. Mm-hmm. And so then after um, the e-commerce beauty foray, you now move into mobile games that you can game. And I think that's how you and Conrad, uh, our past uh, yeah. podcast guests, met. And how did that uh, come about? You you said you kind of do it early once again as like the second business hire for the yeah, company. Yeah, so um, it was actually through uh, Ray, who was the founder of Loose Button Luxbox, um, and I was coming out of school and he connected me with a bunch of startups in the city and you can decided to take a bet on me. It was Chris and Mark who are the founders there. Um, and you know, I didn't, I had a bunch of kind of like do whatever it takes to get the job done experience, but not a lot of formal business experience. You know, I had a business degree, but I don't really remember much from what I learned from the business program at Western, um, and, you know, I, I interviewed there and they, they decided to kind of take a bet on me. And I think I owe a lot of that to like the the crazy good networker that Ray is and the relationships that he's built that like his word, I think, um, really helped me get my foot in the door. Um, and I joined Yuken when they were, I think, between 20 to 30 people uh, was the second business hire and was basically in charge of figuring out how to grow our games, how to acquire uh, players, gamers, that type of thing. And going from a startup that's under 10 people to now something that's closer to 20, 30, um, how does the dynamic differ? Did you still feel the same kind of intensity and the excitement or was it slightly more toned down because of the size of the company? I think there was 
it was a more mature company and I think um, they had made, you know, I think there were more processes set up. The business model was validated. Um, and so there was, it was a lot easier for a marketer to come in and grow that, you know, they, they had games that were making money. They had, you know, product people who were essentially all day thinking about, you know, how do we actually, you know, monetize the people? How do we retain them? And so, um, there was definitely a more of a foundation for me to be able to come in and, um, be able to actually, you know, drive acquisition and have it lead to, um, key business results mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you, you were doing the growth part like growth marketing at you can and even right now at open care doing mm-hmm. patient acquisition which is also i would say like part of growth as yep. well why why growth why um you know you you seem to be the kind of person who likes to try a lot of different things did you try like finance or operations or product and yeah why why did you end up kind of i guess getting gravitating towards more towards growth yeah i think especially on like the the acquisition side of things um at least for the businesses that i've been a part of you really feel the impact that you have on a company um you know it's very clear you know you have these budgets you go out and you're acquiring customers those customers are the ones who are spending money in your games those customers are the ones who are showing up to the dentist and that's how the open care business model works. And so there's, there's not a lot of room for you to like, you know, try and piece it together. You're, you're directly tied to revenue. And when you're at a stage of company where you're 30 people and when I joined open care, we were seven or eight people. It's just super exciting, rewarding to be that driver for growth. Um, and, you know, there's times when it's super stressful um, because there's there's a lot of there, there's no hiding. Um, but I think at the same time, um, you know, when you're able to figure it out, it's it's addictive. And I got really hooked to it. And so when you say when you say there's no hiding, um, do, then do you feel that you do get kind of like the glory and the blame if the company's not growing at all? Well, I, I, I think, you know, everyone contributes to trying to figure out, you know, how to how to build the business but i think um you know when you're not acquiring users um and you know that you know a certain percentage of users are churning then it's it's um you know very very clear um and especially for a business like open care where our business model today is um very driven by acquisition if if our team is not delivering on results um you know you you see that in terms of revenue impact right away and vice versa, when you know you're figuring everything out, um, and you see that revenue number growing, it's very, very clear the impact that you're having. Mm-hmm. And so, you joined um, you can and then you joined Open Care as like the seventh employee. Um, what was the what was the point when you decided? Okay, I think you can. I've done enough that you can now I'm go back to like a smaller, fast growing company. Yeah, I, I think. What I really loved about my experience at UCAN, um was a, f- a few things. So the previous company I was at was a team full of marketers, and business people. Um, when, I, when I shifted over to UCAN, the company was probably 80% technical. 
Um, so a lot of engineers and um, really trying to kind of build an understanding of what a tech company looks like and, and how to operate within it, I think was a really great experience. Um, the fact that mobile was in a very new and emerging category. Um, you know, I joined at a time when mobile games was just starting to get going. Um, games were moving off of Facebook, you know, the Farmvilles of the world were moving over to, um, you know, trying to figure out mobile and everyone was just trying to like put stuff together. No one had figured out, you know, how to grow. Um, there was a lot of like hacky shit that was going on and like, you know, you really had to kind of figure it out in a hyper competitive environment. So that was another piece is just like entering into an industry where, um, things were new and people were just like, um, nothing had been defined yet. And then I think the the other thing is like in games, especially free to play, you have um, a lot of data to work with. And I think I really honed in on like, you know, my performance marketing chops because, you know, with with games, you have um, a lot that you can do to try and figure out, you know, how to properly segment, how to understand um, from a more predictive standpoint, you know, within the first five, 10 sessions, you can predict how much they're going to you know, spend in their lifetime, that type of thing. Um, so you really got exposed to making very data-driven decisions around marketing. Everything was about, you know, how, to, how much do it cost for us to acquire this customer and how do we properly track, you know, how much they end up spending in the game over multiple games potentially. Um, and so I think that skill set, um, it was great to kind of build my performance marketing skills through mobile gaming because I think they were definitely at the forefront of that. Um, and so at UCAN, I feel like I, I learned a lot of the skills that were necessary for me. And it got to a point where I think um, once I had developed that, it was great education. I started to think about, you know, what are the industries and problems in the world that I actually care about solving? And games, as much as I love gaming myself, as much as, you know, it's a fun space to be in, um, I think at the end of the day, it's still heavily in the entertainment space and what i tried to tell myself was like you know i was delivering these pockets of happiness to people's these moments of joy in their life but at the end of the day it's not you had to kind of make up a story to tell yourself you know the impact that you're having in people's lives and in, in the mobile game space a lot of people talk about you know building addiction they talk about um exploiting psychology um, it's a very money hungry industry. And so I, I just, it, it didn't resonate with me at the level that I wanted. And so I started looking for business opportunities and companies that were solving problems that I, I felt like I could more easily connect with. And Open Care kind of stood out from the beginning in terms of having a really um, clear view in terms of the problem that they were solving and how passionate um, the team was at the time in terms of really. Um, building a business that that really impacted people's lives in a, in a positive way and um, that to me was sort of where I felt like I wanted to do what I wanted to do next take everything that I learned and apply it in a space where um, I could really connect on a deeper level with the problem that they were solving and I, I keep on trying to empathize and but I think something that I'm trying to like grasp my head around is just the mentality you must kind of have to kind of jump with like a wing and a prayer to like all these small companies like um, they're growing but 
it's it's nothing like joining a you know quote unquote tech startup that has a hundred people compared to like joining something that has seven or being like the second business hire of a company that's predominantly just engineers. Mm-hmm. How how do you um, like what kind of mentality do you have when you are looking at and like assessing these opportunities? Yeah, I think I took one of these. Um like leadership profile things it's like a 400 question long um, personality test or whatnot and one of the things that I score really high on is this um, I'm very comfortable with ambiguity um, and I think it's actually exciting for me that nothing has been established nothing has been built yet and um, I think I find myself drawn to those types of opportunities where you really have to figure things out and you really have to build. And I find it really exciting to come into something where um, not a lot of stuff has been figured out yet. And it's really up to you to kind of define and build and and figure that out. So um, I think even just looking ahead in terms of my career, um, what I'm building towards is, you know, getting the experience that gives me access to, I think the best opportunities and the best ideas and the best problems that are going through this phase and i kind of want to do it time and time again better and better each time if that makes sense no it does and um i I love i love this continued um emphasis on like self-awareness like actually understanding who you are and actually kind of doubling down on that and going yeah this is who i am this is what i'm comfortable with this seems right and it's going to what actually fits your personality fits what you're kind of encoded to do yeah, it's, 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 I, I, what I, what I find myself drawn to is like, you know, um, in the world, there's a, a certain set of problems that are really worth solving. And, um, I think access to that requires having done it and yeah, I guess experience having proven that I can do it. Um, and you know, those are always going to come, you know, new great ideas are always going to come, but really building myself as someone who's able to take those ideas from like a certain point where, um, you know, it, perhaps it's, it still needs some tweaking and refining to like, you know, helping build it to, to become a massive business. Mm-hmm. And for someone who actually came to growth at, from a unorthodox background um, and also hired a lot of people in growth, um, how can someone like, I don't think they have like a course in university where you can major in growth marketing. Maybe they do now, but back when I was in school, they didn't. But mm-hmm. it's not like accounting or finance where you do that master, do that major, and then you get a job in that field. How can people who want to go into this kind of field of growth um, build up like projects? Like, what can they do? Like, is there like a particular like language? Like, you know, people can do a boot camp to be a software engineer or. Like for me to be an investor, I just wrote a lot of research reports on companies, and that was my final product. Um, what can people do to try to get into growth? Like, what's your opinion on that? So there's no curriculum for it. Yeah, it it seems um, very wide open. Right, and even if you're trying to read online and look at blogs, a lot of times that's like just the surface level stuff, and. Um, whatever you're learning through that is already dated. Even even like the blogs, right? So curriculum's obviously like just super slow. Um, but you know, even if you're reading blogs, a lot of times it's talking about best practices 
when you think about like what we have to do as a team, it's like at the at the edge. So you you I think in order for you to properly learn um, growth or you know, performance marketing and these types of things, you have to get access to the people who are on the edge. Um, and you know I think in certain ways, you know our team is constantly having to you know innovate on what we know. So we're not necessarily going out and trying to learn stuff. We have to basically be really reflective about you know what we've been able to do, what we're learning, and how we can kind of innovate and grow on that. Um, but I think there's also you know we're we're always trying to figure out you know who are the other people who are on the edge with us, and who are the people who are really kind of pushing boundaries and trying to figure out things that have never been done before, and talking to those people, getting access to those people, I think is the best way for you to kind of like accelerate that learning um so yeah i think a lot of it is like figuring out where those people are um trying to just download as much information as you can um and then there there is an element of just having to go through it yourself and giving getting yourself access to a problem or a business or a company where you can kind of have a playground to test your own ideas um, I think it's really hard for like people to join if if the if there's no budget yet, and this is coming from like a performance marketer standpoint because um, I think that's where my background is, and so I've luckily joined companies where there's there's big budgets to spend, so I don't have to worry about you know spending a hundred dollars a day. I can start by spending you know five thousand dollars a day or whatever. It gives me um, ability to do a lot more things a lot faster. Um, but I think it's trying to figure out, you know, joining a company at a stage where you can actually you know, run experiments and, and test things that you have. And that playground, I think, ultimately is the best way for you to learn as well. And it, I think it kind of fits with the, the person who's comfortable with ambiguity since you have to do a lot of trial and error and like figuring things out to be on the edge constantly. Yeah, I, I think... You know, that's bit me in the ass in other ways where, you know, I'm, I'm not as good at, you know, building process. And you know, now I have a team. Um, it's it's definitely something I have to, like, consciously be aware of that I have to, you know, just because I'm comfortable with ambiguity as a team scales, as it grows, as you build a large organization, um, you know, you really have to kind of build processes and, and really be much more organized so that the entire team can work towards a common goal and those types of things. But in the early days, it really played to my favor for sure. Mm -hmm. And speaking of things that bit you in the ass, um, so it could, it could be this thing where, you know, your recent experience of actually growing a team and trying to lay out, lay down processes or not, but um, what kind of a particular like failure uh, was like a big failure that comes to mind that was just like an amazing, like learning opportunities like grow from, but when you're actually experiencing, it was just, just, Horseshit. Yeah, the, the one that comes to mind is um, transitioning from being an IC, so an individual contributor, to um, becoming a manager. Um, I think, you know, throughout UCAN and in the early days of open care, um, I, I, success for me meant the numbers that I was driving. And the results I was bringing in, the tests as I was running, how creative I was with concepts or whatever. And that was kind of what I used to, to validate whether I was doing something well. Um, and when I switched over to needing to manage, 
I think in the early days, I really struggled to, to shift that thinking to, you know, my, my priority now as the team and making sure that they're supported and making sure that they have clarity in terms of my expectations of them, um, making sure that, you know, they have everything they need to be extremely successful. And even though, you know, there was a title change or whatever it is, um, I was still kind of prioritizing my impact or my projects first. And that was a really kind of, um, yeah, it was, there was, there's a lot of struggle because, you know, the, I think, you know, people on my team were feeling, um, a little bit discouraged or, um, lost in terms of, you know, um, delivering on impact and, and those types of things. And, um, I wasn't doing a particularly good job, I think, um, really helping to, to build alignment on the team and, and really rallying us together. And so oftentimes we would run off in different directions trying to find growth. And then we come back and none of those things really amounted to anything. There was a period of time at Open Care when growth was not um, up and to the right. And so um, those were trying times. And I think um, it took me a long time to kind of figure it out. And I think you know, there's there's people on the team that kind of suffered as a result. Some people ended up leaving. Um, one person uh, ended up moving to, to a different city to, to find another opportunity elsewhere. And I think I attribute a lot of that to a lack of being able to create an environment where they're able to grow as fast as they can. Um, and so, yeah, that was definitely challenging. And I think conversely, it's been super rewarding really focusing on that now and trying to do everything I can to um, be a much more supportive and um, I think, you know, someone who really prioritizes team over individual work and, and that type of stuff. And when you were going through that, that kind of struggling period, um, what, like, I can only imagine that there's kind of tension in the air. How would you describe that? Like how, what did it feel like? I think it felt... So, I think the team knew that I had the right intentions. Um, but I think, you know, open care is an environment where you have super ambitious people, a lot of high achievers. We spend a lot of time bringing the best of the best to this company. And... You know, I think when you feel like you're not growing as fast as you can, um, it creates tension. Um, and, you know, my lack of experience, um, I think, made it challenging for them to figure out how they can get onto a faster growth path. Um, and I think a lot of that in the early days, you know, I was trying to put on this like, manager hat and i don't i don't think i was like you know vulnerable enough with the team and open enough and and focusing on building trust and those different types of things and um and so you know had i been more open and just talked through you know this is my first time going through being a manager and you know i'm still trying to figure things out as well i think at the foundational layer because I wasn't sort of being open with those challenges and um, 
the, 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 there was not enough trust built on the team that like I was going to be able to help them get to that point where they were growing super, super fast. Um, and I think now, um, I think trust is the foundational layer of everything. And I think my focus now is really before anything else, really building that with everyone on my team, um, really, um, being honest, open, vulnerable, um, really taking time to understand them, really taking time for really, I think, making sure that they they have a very clear direction for growth that that's unique to them um, I think one of the things before was you know there's certain people and I think the way that I viewed things earlier um, so broken when I think about it now was like hey I've got this target that I need to hit and um, I think it was sort of, okay, well, now I have these people on the team and these people on the team can help me hit that target. And that's a very backwards way of looking at managing. Today, my view is, you know, we've got these amazing people and where are they going to do their best work? And this, this deep belief that you do your best work when you're doing things that you love, right? And it, it's a complete shift in terms of, you know, thinking about management, it's not, you know, these are people who help you hit a goal. It's these people have their own goals. And it's really about understanding those at a really deep level and helping them move in that direction because they're going to do their best work when all of that is aligned. Yeah. And um, kind of jealous that uh, your, your team gets a manager like you because uh, I think that's, that is a rare I think mindset that I see or have experienced to some degree um, in many managers, but hopefully, um, you know, many will change. <laughs> well, I'm 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 a hundred percent honest with them now. I'm like, you know, it's only been like a year and a half where I've really like tried to be a better manager, and there's still things that I'm learning and trying to figure out. But I think, you know, um, being open with that, I think is has gone a long way. And I think really changing how I view my role as a manager and maturing in terms of what my role as a manager is, I think has helped with that. Mm -hmm. um, and then and then I think, you know, the broader team and how Open Care really thinks about supporting everyone on the team has really helped as well. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and as unfortunately, time is kind of coming to a close for us for the interview and so as we kind of hit this final leg a question I want to ask you is that what if someone were to look at your LinkedIn profile what part looks very deceptively obvious or easy I'm not sure if I follow the question so like if they looked at the kind of journey that you've had in your career like if they looked at the LinkedIn profile and they go okay this kind of makes sense it seems very obvious but um, which particular part do you feel like it's, it might look deceptively obvious, but it was actually like, no, like it was a lot of weird things that happened in between like this one transition or this kind of overall like makeup. Hmm. What seems easy on the surface, but it was actually hard at the core. Mm -hmm. Um... 
I don't know if I have a good answer. Like, I mean, you know, when we talk about, so I don't even know if I have this on my profile, but um, one of the things that comes to mind is sort of raising our Series A at OpenCare. Um, and, you know, that's like a one-liner on a LinkedIn profile. And it's like, you know, successfully raised, or I think we raised a 22 million Canadian round. Um, and, you know, that's just one accomplishment. <laughs> but it's it's a lot of grind and sweat and failure and things that don't work. And, you know, I think a lot of times when you look at that one number, you think, you know, this company was just moving in this like linear up into the right direction where um, each month was growing from the previous month. And it was very clear from the beginning what problems you needed to work on or what metrics you needed to look at and all that different type of stuff. In reality, you know, it's much more like volatile. You're moving in different directions. Sometimes you're moving in the opposite direction. And, you know, it's just a matter of trying to realize that fast enough. Um, I think, you know, a lot of high-level metrics that we thought were super important to pay attention to, which when we dug deeper were actually, you know, not deep enough, didn't actually um, define, you know, a, a scenario where patients were being successful on our platform or practices were. And I think like, you know, some companies are, are focused too high level and we were there as well focusing on like high level numbers everything from revenue and contribution margin whatever but i think it's it's really kind of digging deeper to understand um what really drives your business and that takes you know a lot of trial and error before you figure that out mm -hmm. yeah no that's uh that's a good one um and this might be an easy answer for you it's it's harder for some people you were very self-aware at such an early age. But if your 20-year-old self were to look at you right now, see where you're at, what you've accomplished, what do you think the emotional um, reaction for that 20-year-old Peter would be? So I guess it's kind of like you're in third year, so you've already kind of dipped your toes into startups. Yeah, I'd give myself a high five. <laughs> um, and I'd, I'd, be, I'd be surprised. And I think... Um, a lot of it is just this combination of good timing, good luck. Um, you know, the opportunities that I found were, there's a lot of timing that kind of went into it. You know, like it just so happened that OpenCare had raised their seed round and were hiring. And I ended up joining, in my opinion, the best startup in Toronto. And like that just... Um, you know, that there's a timing piece of it. And it's just like, you know, uh, had I had I tried to engineer and think through this at 20, um, I think I would have had a very different idea. But I'm uh, very grateful for where I've gotten still a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. But I think I think it's important sometimes to just take pause and appreciate. And is there um, like a, an advice you'd like to give to that 20 year old Peter or advice you wish you had gotten when you're at that age? Um, I think, you know, what I've started to realize now is how important it is to invest in your health. And I think that's a function of, you know, open care being in the healthcare space, but also just, you know, the, the team here has a really deep understanding of how 
health is correlated to everything in life. And I didn't have that understanding when I was younger. Um, everything from, you know, getting proper sleep to eating right, to exercising, to meditation. Um, if there's one thing I could do at 20, um, it would be to start meditating earlier because that's one of those things where every time you meditate, you're getting sharper and smarter. And um, I think, you know, there's our meditation teacher from Open Care actually talks about this act of sharpening the axe. And meditation is, you know, making your tools sharper, more effective. And that tool is your brain. And so meditation from an earlier age would just mean that, you know, I would have been able to be sharper now. You know, you can always, now I'm starting and I'm doing it much more frequently. But I think um, that's that's something that, that definitely would have um, yeah, helped at an earlier age. And if I have kids, you know, they're, they're starting at age eight or nine for sure. Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely a huge proponent of meditating and its value uh, benefits myself. And it's really uh, great to hear someone else telling me about how much of a help it has been in their life. Um, and so as this interview comes to an end, um, where can our guests, um, like listeners, um, learn more about open care, user service, um, maybe even look if you guys are like growing your team, where can they go? Yeah, so um, we're, we're 40 people now. Uh, we're trying to hire 60 people this year. Um, so we're in that high growth phase. Um, I think there's there's only so many companies in Toronto that are going through that right now. And um, I think we're leading that pack. <laughs> um, so, you know, come to opencare.com. There's a careers page there that has all the active roles. Even if those roles aren't live, um, I think there's uh, the opportunity to just reach out. My email is peter at opencare.com. Uh, we're always looking to talk to people who are as passionate and hungry and humble as, as we are. Um, saying that we're humble now feels like a humble brag, but I, I really feel that kind of in, on, the, on the entire team, there's this self-awareness and um, growth-mindedness that kind of um, makes you constantly open to feedback and self-critical of yourself and that type of thing. But yeah. All right. Great. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Cool. Yeah. yeah had a lot of fun. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please check out other episodes and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date for the future episodes. Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, whichever is applicable to you. To see past episodes, you can go to oldmandan.com slash podcasts. Also, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter on my blog, oldmandan.com slash newsletter. You can stay up to date with future podcast episodes that way and included in the newsletter are my book reviews I write, my weekly article in the related to the domain of self-development systems, as well as seven things I learned throughout the week on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Finally, special thanks to icons8.com for allowing me to use their music, Tiny People, on the podcast. Great. I will see you all next time. Take care.